This is Steve Robbins, host of the Get It Done Guys, Quick and Dirty Tips to Work Less and Do More. This is part one of a phone interview with Marshall Goldsmith on peer coaching. America's foremost executive coach, Marshall's newest book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, is a New York Times bestseller, a number one Wall Street Journal business book, and Amazon's number one bestseller on leading people in 2007. This interview is referenced in the Get It Done Guy podcast. You can find this interview on the web at steverobbins.com forward slash get it done guy. You can find Marshall on the web at www.marshallgoldsmithlibrary.com. One of the things we've talked about in the past is peer coaching. And this is something new that I've heard uh, uh, becoming more and more prevalent in your writing and in your work. Can you tell me something about it? Well, great. Number one, great to talk to you. And number two, yes, I'm going to talk about two different types of peer coaching. Uh, I have two PhD students right now working on dissertations in the area of peer coaching, which I'm very, very excited about. So I'll talk about two different types. One type of peer coaching is basically taking the coaching methodology I use and applying it with peers. And what's exciting about peer coaching is Everybody hammers on managers to be better coaches. And while they're hammering on managers to be better coaches, these same managers are having thousands of emails. They have no time. They're under incredible pressure. When are they supposed to do the coaching? What I love about peer coaching is peer coaching is something that is very scalable. You only have to have one coach, and you only coach one person. So let's say a manager has 20 direct reports. Well, let's say the peer coach is not as coach good a, co- a good a coach as the manager, but you're getting 100% of one person's coaching as opposed to one-twentieth of another. So from that perspective, they may be a lot better. Now, let me describe two types of peer coaching. The first type is very, very parallel to the way I do coaching. In this process, uh, each partner gets 360-degree feedback. Each person picks one or two key areas for improvement, and they are taught to follow up with their direct reports on a regular basis and practice something I call feed forward, where they say, here's what I say I want to get better at, give me ideas for the future. They listen, they take notes, they don't judge or critique, they don't promise to do everything, they just promise to do what they can. And then after putting together a summary report, they meet about once a month or once every couple months with their peer coach. And during a peer coaching meeting, they discuss, here's what I learned, Here's what I'm doing about it. Please give me suggestions to make sure I execute. The peer coach's role is to be positive and supportive, to give them ideas and suggestions, and then they switch roles. The other person says, here's what I learned. Here's what I'm doing. Give me ideas to make sure I really execute. They follow up on a regular basis, and you can use a mini-survey process to measure progress. What's exciting about this so far is the results for people that have peer coaches are just as good as the results of people that have fancy executive coaches. And this is something that is very scalable, especially, say, at first and second level management, where people are not going to hire executive coaches anyway. This is something they can do that's very, very efficient, doesn't cost a fortune, and works. And if you look at our research, I wrote an article called Leadership as a Contact Sport. If you look at that article, most of people's improvement is a function of their own follow-up with everyone around them, not the, quote, wisdom attributed to the coach. Is this making sense to you, Steven? It sure is. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I'm a little curious about, of course, 
being a coach and you're a coach, you say the results with this are as good as the results with a professional coach. So does this mean then that essentially what's important is just having a good process, and it doesn't actually matter the person that you're working with? Well, the key is having a good process. We also talk about when this doesn't work. And by the way, back to your comment, in a sense, yes, that is what it means. I wrote an article about this called It's Not About the Coach. Mm-hmm. And the client I've coached that improved the most is the client I spent the least amount of time with. And I asked him, what should I learn about you from coaching? And he said, what you should learn from me is don't make the coaching process about you, make it about your clients. He said, this process was never about you, it was about me and my team. And he said, um, a great achiever, it's all about me. A great coach, it's all about them. And he said, I manage 53,000 people. As a leader, what I tell myself, leadership is not about me, it's about them. In our own coaching network, Marshall Goldsmith Partners, one of our coaches that has the best results is a coach with the least qualifications on paper. Oh, interesting. And the reason is, the reason is he doesn't let his ego get in the way. <laughs> right. I don't have the fancy, the fancy degrees or the Fortune 500 C-suite credential. I'll listen. Uh, so maybe I can listen and make it about you instead of making it all about me. And if I critique myself as a coach, the biggest times that I've failed have been all a result of one problem, my own ego letting my own ego get in the way and thinking it's all about me instead of about my clients. Now, I don't think this is going to eliminate the need for executive coaches at the higher level because at the higher level, when you're dealing with issues, they want to talk to somebody outside the company. There are a lot of things people want to discuss. They don't want to discuss with people inside the company. A lot of political issues come up. But I think for people, especially at first level, first level supervision, second level supervision, these people aren't going to get executive coaches anyway. Sure. That's a great idea. Would you mind delving into the processes if you outlined it a bit so I can ask some, some questions, or do you want to go to the second type of chair coaching first? Well, let's go into the process. Okay. Let's say you and I are working together on the first type, okay? Yep. You would get confidential feedback from your coworkers. You would get some form of 360-degree feedback because the way my coaching process works, it works if the issue is behavioral, if the person is given a fair chance, and if the person is willing to try. You will get 360-degree feedback. And then you will pick what you think are important issues. And to make it better, you and your manager will agree that these issues are important and these people are important. So one thing I left out, it's good to get your manager sign off on the process. So there is kind of a, oh, you don't want to work with something for a year and then have your manager say you worked on the wrong thing. So you get that agreement with your manager. Now let's say you want to become better at giving recognition and listening. Pretty simple stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Then you would have a one-on-one dialogue with each of your key stakeholders that said, you know, I've received 360 feedback. Overall, I'm really happy with what I learned. I feel good about this and this and this. And there's two things I want to do better. In the past, I don't feel I've adequately recognized others. And if I've not recognized you or the people around you, I'm sorry. I, I can't change the past. I can certainly do better in the future. Please give me suggestions so I can do a great job of providing positive recognition. And you listen, you shut up, you don't you take notes, you don't critique. Then you say, I also want to be a better listener. In the past, perhaps I've not listened to you or the people around you. And again, if I've done that, I'm sorry. I want to be a good listener. Give me ideas of how I can do a great job of listening to you and the people around me. In the future, what would they be? Then you get all the ideas. And then you say, you know, I cannot promise to do everything you have suggested. I can promise though, to listen to everyone and to think of everyone's ideas and to do what I can. I'm going to follow up with you, and I'm going to try to be very time efficient in, in the way I do this. And as I follow up, I'm going to ask you for ongoing ideas to help me be better at recognition and listening. I would certainly appreciate you helping me. 
That's about it. Then you take notes. Then you come with that. You would come, I'm your peer coach. You would come to me and say, here are the seven people I talked to. Here's what I learned. Here's what I'm going to do about it. And then you say, Marshall, give me ideas to make sure I really execute. Then I give you ideas to execute. You don't judge or critique my ideas. It's positive and supportive. You say thank you. You follow up, follow up, follow up measurement, follow up, follow up, follow up measurement. And my goal as your peer coach is not to have you like me. My goal is for you to get better at agreed upon behaviors judged by agreed upon people. It seems like a key component of this is that very first 360 to identify what are the areas for improvement. But I, do you have any advice for how to choose the right questions or the right issues for that 360? Because it seems like if I've got a blind spot, probably the, the thing I'm least likely to ask people about is whatever it is that's already my blind spot. Oh, I would recommend, there are a lot of good 360 inventories. I mean, I wrote a book called Global Leadership, The Next Generation that has one in it. The Kuzis and Posner one is excellent, or Center for Creative Leadership. Most companies have their own anyway, right? So I really don't feel a need to reinvent the wheel on this. There are plenty of good 360-degree feedback inventories that are very well thought out and very well studied. So just pick a good one. Use that. Okay, so it's not, it's not a matter of... The reality is they aren't that different anyway. Right. What do you do in terms of the trust issue? What if, if I'm working with a peer, if that peer has some secret agenda regarding me or if we don't get along or if I've offended them and don't know it, do you do any type no, of... Don't work with them. Okay. Do, do you have a conversation with them? The process should be voluntary. The okay. participants should be volunteer participants and you should choose a person you want to work with and feel good about working with them. If you don't feel good about working with them, don't. Okay, so this isn't something that we're going to impose upon people and say, Sally, you're going to do a peer, uh, a no, peer coaching process with I, Betty. Or... I wouldn't, wouldn't do that at all. Okay. Um, By the way, GE did some research with their internal coaches using our coaching process, and their internal coaches had fantastic results for two reasons. One, the process was purely voluntary. And they did it with high potential people, not losers. So it was seen as a reward for the high potential, not a punishment for the low potential. Mm-hmm. And um, they made it voluntary, and they had clear rules. Their internal coaches only work with people who cared, who are willing to try and willing to go through the process. With the feed forward piece, when you're collecting suggestions about ways that you can improve and different things that you can try, um, you, you mentioned very briefly that you tell people that you're not going to guarantee that you take their suggestions. You're not going to promise to do everything everyone suggests. Okay. Um, do you find any need to manage people's expectations where if you go back on the third month and say, I'm working on this, and they say, well, you didn't take my suggestion on the other two. Why should I help you with this one? Most people don't think you're going to do anything. Ah. If you do anything at all, it's even vaguely good. They're ecstatic. <laughs> all right. That is- Let's face reality. Our field is probably the most overhyped field in the world, right? Mm-hmm. There's all this happy talk about transforming leaders in two days and uh, you know reading books and becoming new human beings and all that stuff. None of that's very real if you look at research. The reality is most coworkers, when they sense when you, your boss goes off to leadership development, their expectation that the person will change anything at all is zero. You so, can do anything that's even vaguely good, they're ecstatic. Well, I guess that's both good and bad news. It's good news. Good news for. If you can get one change, that itself is going to be significant and, of course, bad news because if you need ten changes, it sounds like it's a much harder job than we make no, it out to be. ten changes, you're probably not going to get fixed anyway. The, uh, the other thing about this process is uh, even if you pick the wrong item, 
-hmm. it's a lot less important than you might imagine. For example, let's say I need to work on listening, but I pick innovation. Mm -hmm. That's not good. You really need to be a better listener. You shouldn't pick innovation. Well, if you follow up with your people and say, I want to be more innovative, give me ideas, you know what they'll say? Listen more. Right. So you'll end up up getting the actual issues. In the right place anyway. Is there any guidelines for when you ask people for for the feed-forward suggestions? If someone says to you, well, you know, you should just be more understanding, which might be vague enough that someone who has trouble doing that doesn't know how to do it. Do you ask any follow-up questions and say, well, how exactly? Well, yeah, I think it's fine to ask follow-up questions if they're really follow-up questions, if they're not rhetorical questions which are defensive. For example, if I'm a boss and I ask my direct reports for input, they say, be a better coach. And you look at them and say, I'm confused. What do you mean, be a better coach? Well, then they can immediately become defensive and feel like, well, now you have to prove why they said that, right? Mm-hmm. If it's really a question that's designed for clarification, it's great. If it's a rhetorical question, which is really defensive, it's, it does more harm than good. That makes sense. Okay. Now, you said this is, just, this is one form of peer coaching, where you essentially yeah. do your full process. And this process is outlined in your new book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Yes.